When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Film Spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on Cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. Now playing on demand is A Brilliant Young Mind, starring Aza Butterfield as a young prodigy who develops a budding friendship with a young girl while competing at the International Mathematics Olympiad. Also playing on demand is Rock the Casbah, starring Bill Murray as a has-been rock manager who finds himself out of a job while visiting Afghanistan. His luck changes when he meets a Pashtun teenager with a beautiful voice and a dream. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on Cable. The art house is now in your house. From New York City, this is Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. And this week on the show, Matt and I wisely avoid the easy and very tempting chance to do our entire podcast in rhyme as we review Spike Lee's controversial hip-hop sex comedy, Chirac. Oh, come on, Allison. Don't be such a wuss. After all, this movie is all about No. The- but Allison, this fruit is ripe to be plucked. The whole movie is about how no one in Chicago... Absolutely ga- not. Fine. Well, my newborn baby and Allison Sundance Travels made a Q-Shot segment difficult again, so we're improvising segment three this week. Allison will tell us about this year's Sundance, while I will help you handicap this year's Oscar Shorts film categories. But first up, it is opening break, a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies on Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight a few new notable titles on demand. Allison, it is your turn to lead us through this. What's your first pick? Well, first up is a movie called Lamb. Uh, it is on demand, as are all all three of the films that I'm going to talk about in this segment. And it's one of those films that I think is going to go overlooked because of the timing and because it doesn't have any big stars. But it's got two great performances and particularly a good performance from Una Lawrence, who uh, you may remember from Southpaw. She's been in a few things lately and is just... A kind of heartbreaking in a role that's really difficult in this movie about uh, a man named David Lamb, who is played by the director, Ross Partridge, who is going through a really difficult time in his life. His father is dying. His wife has left him. He's been having an affair at work. And he befriends this little girl named Tommy, uh, played by Una Lawrence, who is uh, apparently fairly neglected by her parents. She, when he first sees her, she's out with some friends who kind of dare her to go up and ask him for a cigarette. And she's dressed totally inappropriately for her age. And he talks her into getting in, into his car, saying that you'll, you'll scare your friends. They'll think I'm kidnapping you. 
And it sets the tone for the film at large, which has you constantly afraid for both of these characters. It is not a film about a sexual predator, but in some ways it's it's almost worse because it's a film about a character who like wants to have a sincere and kind of grown-up friendship with this little girl and is seizing upon it at a time in his life in which he's kind of floundering and is also seizing upon it because he's enchanted with the idea of leaving this huge mark on a, this little girl's life at a time when she's particularly vulnerable. So it is a constant mix of sweet and and totally disturbing and it's sustained by these two performers i mean and particular you know una lawrence who is able to find the ways in which this character is very savvy but also the ways in which she is just a little girl and is is kind of is terrified about having this connection and also about about what it means, even if this is sort of like a re- revenge against her parents, about uh, about how it's going to play out. I heard that Kathy kicked you out and you're living in a motel. That's not true. Who said that? How many times I told you not to walk around outside at dark? Get ready for bed. I even seven. I said do it! What's your name? Tommy. You live around here your whole life? You're probably gonna die here. I don't really have that many friends around here. I could give you my email or something. Why are we going to see each other again? So, both a disturbing and a a weirdly poignant movie, and one that I, I do recommend you check out just because it fits so into no easy boxes. Um, so that is Lamb. It is available on demand right now. Also available on demand, uh, a movie I haven't seen yet, but is one that I really would like to see. I feel like it's the kind of movie that is made to be caught up with on demand. It's called A Perfect Day, written and directed by Fernando Leon de Aranoa, who did Mondays in the Sun, among other ones. This is his English language debut. Stars Benicio del Toro, Tim Robbins, Olga Kurylenko, and Melanie Thierry, among others, as aid workers in the Balkans. And it is, uh, I think, from what I've read, uh, largely plotless. It is just kind of about what it's like to be an AIDS worker or an aid worker and trying to help. Uh, it's based on a book by a woman who worked with Doctors Without Borders. So it's based on those experiences. But, I, you know, I've, I've heard nice things about it. It premiered uh, in one of the sidebars at Cannes last year and has largely gone ignored just yeah. by a, a really good cast. cast. Yeah. yeah, it's weird. Um, I think just because it's... It's one of those films that's just like a day in the life of this experience. A perfect day. A perfect day in the life, or probably about how there's no such thing as a perfect day. (laughs) But that's one that I'm looking forward to checking out. That Mm, is now intriguing. Yeah, that is now available on demand. A perfect day. Uh, Also now available on demand, and not a movie I will give a ringing endorsement to. But if you're morbidly curious, Stonewall, the 2005 film directed by Roland Emmerich uh, and written by Pulitzer Prize finalist John Robin Baltz. It is uh, Emmerich's ill-fated passion project about the 1969 Stonewall riots and kind of the, the, the event that is widely looked at as kicking off kind of the gay liberation movement and gay act- it's central to gay activism, uh, widely and justifiably criticized for feeding a story that is about uh, many like, people of color and trans activists through the most white bread of characters and, uh, and just being in general a kind of 
like Disneyfied version. Milk toast. Milk toast. Boring. Uh, kind of. You're really version. selling this one. Well, I think that what's really interesting about it is. Is I how think, it does that? Well, is how this is the kind of movie that used to be what we would say is the kind of Oscar-fied acceptable way right. to tell this story. Right. Really, I mean, 10 years ago even, I don't think that people would have called out this movie in the same way and as mm. publicly. I, you know, like Roland Emmerich is not a director who has been able to kind of garner a lot of uh how dare you i don't even know how you're gonna finish his, this sentence but it's outrageous for, for his non-blockbuster efforts despite being a hugely successful hollywood director um so with that you know certainly doesn't help but i think that this approach to telling stories like this this used to be the standard approach that's there used yeah, to be the assumption right. yes. that you had to have a character like that as a window and I, I think that you've got so many people who are like very talented involved with this and you watch it and it just feels like a time capsule from mm. like, you know, a few decades before this attempted at prestige movie. But it wasn't even failed. that long ago. It's not even that long ago that something like that would have flown. Sure. So I, I heard Roland Emmerich and I saw that it's a movie called Stonewall. I just assumed this was like a Stargate spinoff. Like that had a Stargate. This has a Stonewall. Like, right. Like right. the wall takes people to another dimension or something unfortunately that is not the alas case. Uh, but if this was a movie that you mostly read about because it was written about what like far more than people actually saw some it. very entertaining <laughs> reviews of that movie that yes. i read um well now it is finally on demand and well i cannot tell you it is a good movie i think that if you've read about it enough maybe you'll want to see it uh, I'm certainly not sorry I did. Uh, that is Stonewall, and it is, like these other two movies, available now on demand. Man, you really think something like that could bring peace? Y'all know the power we have over them withholding just a day. A week. Ooh. Imagine a month. A year. Oh, they gonna bring the peace. Suppose, suppose that the men just dump us. If we all hold out, who can they go to? The boss. Them over there. Well, we will enlist them, too. If we want our men alive, we want our babies to thrive, we're going to have to organize. This week's listener's choice was about as clear-cut a winner as we ever have in these polls. Spike Lee's Chirac ran away with it, garnering more than 54% of the vote. The other two choices were essentially tied with about 22% apiece. Those two options, one more time, were The Voices and The Last Five Years. But... Let's turn to Chirac, which is notable as one of the first movies from Amazon Studios, which is a new unit within the online retailer and streaming content provider devoted to making original movies. They play in theaters, but they're also, you know, sort of supplying Amazon with their own original content. They're just getting into the business, but they're clearly putting a lot of resources behind acquisitions and productions. I know they were very busy at Sundance this year, and that's something I'm sure we can talk about later in Allison's uh, discussion about Sundance. They definitely put uh, some money behind Chirac. It looks a lot better than your typical straight-to-streaming movie. It has a very impressive cast, including Nick Cannon, Wesley Snipes, Jennifer Hudson, Angela Bassett, Dave Chappelle, and Samuel L. Jackson who plays Dolomites, one part Rudy Ray Moore's Dolomite, and one part Greek chorus for Lee's modern update of the classical Greek comedy Lysistrata, about a woman who attempted to end the Peloponnesian War by organizing a sex strike among the women of Greece. In Lee's version, set in contemporary Chicago, a woman named Lysistrata, played by Tayana Paris, does much the same to quell the epidemic of gang and gang violence in her city, 
which has been dubbed Chirac by its underprivileged citizens. In a nod to the rhyming verses of classic Greek plays, Lee's Chirac is mostly wrapped. The screenplay rhymes, a lot of it rhymes anyway, and includes all kinds of clever puns and metaphors. And Allison, there are many, many elements of Chirac that are worth discussing. The use of language, the use of hip-hop, I think Lee's direction, his depiction of Chicago, especially as a typically New York filmmaker, the movie's use of music, uh, its depiction of male and female sexuality. But I think we need to start with the single most important question, the one that for me echoes throughout this film from beginning to end. Why the hell does John Cusack play the fiery sermon-giving priest of an all-black church? Well, he's based on a real person. I don't care. Uh, Why? Know, he's based on a real activist priest who has a, is a part of a real church. Uh, Doesn't matter. Why? Why John Cusack then? I, I don't. I mean, he's a Chicago resident. That's and probably I'm, I'm the assuming, That's the same thought I had. Yes. I'm assuming that he, I mean, he feels he's also like very politically active. He's very vocal. And I'm assuming when he heard Spike Lee was making this film. I uh, must ask one more time, though. Why? I, he is a little jarring. It's jarring when you first see him uh, yes. show up um, to a shooting. You know, uh, Jennifer Hudson plays a character whose daughter is killed uh, in as kind of like a, a unfortunate innocent bystander, yeah, yeah, stray uh, bullet, part of a kind of gang warfare. Yes, and he shows up, and you are like it's John Cusack right yeah. there. Uh, he also he delivers, as you said, a speech that is it kind of stops the movie in its tracks. Totally for a cold, and not, not for a moment, for, for ten, for fifteen a minutes. It is yeah. like just a kind of passionate and didactic speech. It's about, a sermon. Yes, it is it's a, a sermon. sermon at the funeral. Yeah, uh, I mean, it is one of the many choices in this movie that is just like go big or go home. Yes, uh, which is I think the sentiment that defines <laughs> the entire movie, and I think one I, I I generally admire. You know. I'd rather I'd rather see going someone go big or go home uh, than than to kind of I don't think you can kind of half heart your way through a an adaptation of a adaptation of a two thousand plus year old sex comedy that's also going to take on gun violence in in, in um, Chicago. I don't think you can do that half heartedly. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, it does. I think you're right. I think, and it does take a lot of uh, chances, and it does go big or go home, as you as you say. And then that's something we like about Spike Lee. He is a filmmaker who takes chances, yeah. and he, you know, he's unafraid to do that. And there's a lot of filmmakers who direct scared. You know, they play it safe. Yeah. And Spike Lee very rarely does anything safe. And I, that is something I admire about him. Yeah. That said, I I do not think that the basic premise of this movie works, and I I think that it is. It is now, what what part of the basic premise you're saying? The idea of it, and I think this is this is actually a Spike Lee problem. The idea of it being semi satirically and semi seriously about the idea of like black women withholding sex and changing the world. Okay, you know, yes. it is the basis of Lysistrata, but it is also something that that you, like the movie floats sort of like I, we're joking, joking, and no, actually we're maybe we're not joking. And Spike Lee himself has in interviews been like. Yes, I think that a sex strike would work to stop the campus like sexual assault epidemic. Right. Which makes you think that he he sort of does believe that it would work. And right. I think that the very idea of taking it in the least bit seriously that women uh one bear the responsibility for stopping violence uh bear this responsibility and also that that it is like even in a joking way feasible. I I think is a is a problem. Hmm. 
Well, I mean, the movie isn't about stopping uh, sexual violence on campus. I agree that that's ludicrous, that statement. But, I mean, uh, it's pretty ludicrous in the movie, too, This the, the idea of, of it stopping gun violence. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think that the, his comments are probably – those that you mentioned are probably more outrageous than – then the movie itself, I mean, yes, yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a silly idea, but I think the movie has uh, uh, fun with it. I mean, it's Does it's weird. It? Yeah, I think sometimes. I mean, the parts of it that I liked were the parts of it where it seemed to be having fun with it. I thought. Well, I think that this movie does interesting things in terms of raising the question of how much. Uh, this like gun violence in particular is tied into toxic masculinity, right? And that like this idea that it can be just drained away in a very old fashioned way by just like, by withholding sex. Right. That said, I think that this movie tries to do two things and never connects them, which is to raise all of these questions about gun control, about gun violence, about the lack of resources in the South side of Chicago in particular, and in poor neighborhoods throughout the US, about the unemployment that leads uh, drug dealing and kind of gang participation to become like more appealing, and about the general nihilism that the characters seem to feel when you yeah. accept the fact that you're probably not going to live well into your 40s mm-hmm. and beyond. I think all of those are interesting. I think all of those are worthy topics. And certainly this is the only movie that came out in the award season that came anywhere near pressing topics like that. Yeah. That said, I think to tie them into like the sex strike deliberately, like directly solves all of those problems. I think that is a connection that the movie cannot make. And that that kind of transition is one that it cannot handle. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty absurd. I, I, I basically agree with everything you're saying, but also say that I, I, I think I enjoyed the movie a little bit more than you did. I mean, I, I, I didn't look at it as a, um, you know, like a serious, cons- like this is the, this is a, a legitimate solution. It's more just like, you know, Spike Lee is a, is a director, not only who's good when he's taking risks, but who's good when he's angry. And he's clearly angry here. And there's a lot of stuff that he's talking about that, as you said, uh, people aren't talking about in movies. And it's... To a certain extent, it's refreshing to at least see these things addressed on screen. Is it a mess? Yes, it is. And I don't think that it really, you know, I don't think that it really offers a lot in terms of a a, a path to uh, the peace that it keeps talking about, you know, other than just wanting you to just, I think, wanting the viewer to just be a little more aware of what's going on and a little more socially conscious, I suppose. And, you know, like having these messages put literally put up on screen or having John Cusack of all people come out and deliver this sermon. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's basically trying to like kind of be the wake up call, but just trying to be entertaining while doing it basically. And not really caring that much um, if it's unfocused, which it is, you know, it's totally unfocused. But do you feel that this actually accomplishes informing people about anything? It has so many issues on its plate. Yeah. And I mean, I admire, I admire him for bringing them all up, but when you're going to bring up like gun, gun control and gang violence and the lack of resources and under uh, unemployment and like have a movie end with corporations magically deciding to invest in, (laughs) you know, in poor neighborhoods because of a sex strike. Right. And I know I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here because I really do admire this movie for like daring to be more, you know, pressing in present day than others. Right. But I know at what point is just like mentioning issues actually helpful? It's more helpful than pretending they don't exist, I suppose. Um, And that's and, you know, this movie puts everything front and center. I mean, I I guess like I'm saying, you know, it's, it's bringing up all these issues. It doesn't solve anything. And 
it's it's a movie. It's not going to solve a lot of things. Sure, but when you have Jennifer Hudson like cleaning the sidewalk, cleaning yeah. her daughter's blood yeah. off of the sidewalk, yeah. I mean, is that I mean, that image like is basically can be lifted off of any story about gang violence basically that's ever been committed that's fair that's fair i mean that's not really the stuff that i that really resonated with me in this movie like to me the stuff that i loved was like samuel jackson uh as that greek chorus figure or that dolomite figure you know he sort of is a a, a kind of an ingenious uh, modernization of that greek chorus into this figure uh that we've recognized from like black exploitation movies i just thought like you know him delivering these wild sort of free-flowing verses about the situation. Every time he came on screen, I was delighted. I really enjoyed him. And and I enjoyed, you know, some of the other performances and some of the sort of like the way that the, the language is used. I mean, I am not a hip-hop aficionado by any stretch of the imagination, but I really sort of like, I don't know, the way that they use this sort of like classical Greek structure to their kind of their advantage here i thought it was pretty ingenious frankly i mean the structure and the language and the I, I was laughing a lot i thought the like the way that it was written i thought it was a very well written script in terms of you know just the way the verses flow and the way they're making these sort of a lot of i mean i'm, I'm a fan of a good dirty joke there's a lot of sort of like plays on words here and and sort of body sex humor which i i enjoy as well so that was more of the stuff that I got out of it while also saying, you know, it's it's great to see Spike Lee sort of like taking on a subject or a lot of subjects that, you know, they mean something to him. You feel how personal it is for him and that he he's very passionate. And, uh, you know, like that, I, I like that better than him just doing a work for hire and being a technically skilled director of some, you know, boring Hollywood garbage. I, I sort of agree, except that one of my favorite Spike Lee movies is Inside Man. True, you know? true. That's and a also, great movie. He's made two personal movies recently: The Sweet Blood of Jesus and Red Hook Summer, that are atrocious. True, you know that is true. So. I like this better. Th- I, I never saw The Sweet Blood of Jesus. I like this much better than Red Hook Summer. Yes. So I mean, I think that Spike Lee can be all over the place, and I definitely am happy that this was his. This has got him back in the conversation. When I think for years now people have been paying more attention rightly to his documentary work than mm-hmm. to his scripted films. But I, I think that, I don't know. I, 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 I think that his anger clearly comes through here, Yeah. but I think that also, I also, I'm not from Chicago, so I can't speak to it as a, as to how it represents uh, Chicago and kind of, and how it represents, you know, the urgency of, of the situation there. I know that some people who were Chicago residents really took issue with this movie. Yeah, mostly before it came out, though, uh, at least from what I saw. I, I mean, like, the two of the negative reviews that I've read of it were from Chicago, Ray Pride and Ignazi, mm-hmm. who are both Chicago residents. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think, in general, I like, Spike Lee has not always been a great filmmaker uh, in terms of dealing with women you know and mm-hmm. i think that's something that goes right back to she's got to have it his first film which kind of played off like a rape towards the end as something the main character was basically asking for and played it off lightly and i think that i think in chirac that i still i feel like despite a really great performance from Teona paris who is i think such a star 
in this movie. She's, she's amazing. Like, she's and so I had, like, I hadn't, I didn't recognize her that she, I'm just looking right now that she's Dawn from Mad Men. I didn't even recognize yeah. her because she's so different than that character. Right. Well, that character who is so deliberately like keeping to the side and trying not to draw attention to herself right. in the world, like as and like buttoned up and too. buttoned up, but also like so aware of her place in this workplace where she was like, you know, the lone you know woman of color for right. such a long time. Right. That. And, and she's just such a star. She's here. amazing. She's incredible. Yes. And I'm, I'm sad that like, her. yeah, I'm sad that re- the release, they kind of flubbed uh, a chance to, I think, push her more for awards because she's, she's, she's incredible. Great. But I think still, I, I, I think it still just shows that Lee's, that this is not Lee's strong point as a filmmaker is mm-hmm. like female characters are not his strong point. I, you know, and I think this is ultimately still a movie that is like about how women can change the world by changing men. Right. And that you don't is, want that. You don't want to put that evil on women. It's not just that. I mean, like, like well, that's they can't change the world themselves. Right. The power they have to change uh, things. I see. You know, see. like that is the influence you have. Right. That is the influence these characters have. Right. And I find that a little frustrating. Well, but in this case, aren't they also? But aren't they saying that the men are the ones who are perpetrating this this gun violence specifically, not the world at large? I see exactly what you're saying. Sure. But the immediate thing they're trying to sure, change. Sure. But is it's this. also saying that like like this movie is about saying like these women are complicit until they you know until they withhold Uh, like themselves from it they are complicit in this gun violence i I think yeah i see what you're saying that's fair i will say though at the end of the movie there is a there is a a scene where the character played by nick cannon who's actually very good in this movie as well i do and you know somebody who i don't really think of as a great actor agreed i thought he was really great uh as well surprised me with a very strong performance as chirac you know he's sort of looking directly into the camera and talking to the audience and at that point, you you think, despite what you're saying, and I sort of agree with what you're saying, it's sort of, it, at that point, he's sort of saying that it's not uh, women who are responsible. It's everyone who is watching this who doesn't do anything about these problems and saying, take responsibility. Sure, but the whole movie before that I is know, not yeah. telling that story. I, I know, but I'm, what I'm saying is, I recognize exactly what you're saying, but at that moment when he looks in the lens and says that, I found that to be a powerful moment where he's saying, you know... That it, this is not on women. This is on everyone to, and not and on himself too, because a lot of the movie is about him denying responsibility, right? And that it's it's important to sort of like accept your your personal role in these things. And I think I think while I acknowledge your point, and I don't think it's wrong, I do think that moment is kind of powerful. I thought I did not like the ending very much. That's where it really <laughs> fell apart for me. But I agree. I think that sentiment is powerful, and I think Nick Cannon's performance in general is really. It's impressive. I think he goes from being this larger than life, kind of extremely just like macho figure. Yeah, to sort being of a this, typical kind of the character you right. would see in this sort of story. But to being this 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 depressive, essentially, yeah. who is forced to to reckon with the fact that he, you know, was essentially counting on going out big and mm. that with the prospect of that maybe out of the picture. Uh, has to contend with what he's done. Yeah, I wouldn't have minded a little bit more of that stuff. I do think, as much as I enjoyed the sort of the the structure, this I don't want to call it a gimmick, but the you know the the conceit of the of the, the the verses and the rhyming and everything, I did feel like his character could have like there could have been even more to his that sort of dilemma, which uh, is crucial to the ending of the movie, but to some extent kind of comes out of nowhere a little bit i think because it's played intentionally that way i think right well it's it's i think just like 
shows how the difficulty of like the tones that this movie is trying yes. to, to balance. True. Where you have, you know, Lysistrata seducing this general in this re- like really slapstick scene in very, one moment. Very broad. Yeah. And then which and then you have, you know, Nick Cannon's character trying to Right, or Jessica, uh, Je- with, excuse me, Jennifer Hudson wiping up the blood. There, yeah, you're right. There, it, it, it's it, it is it's a, a lot of ground to cover. Yes. Yeah. And it, you're right. It, and it doesn't even I, I, I find it hard to imagine anyone, although this movie did get some very uh, positive reviews. It's yes. hard to it's hard to say that all that stuff works. I just I just found it I wasn't bored. I was uh entertained and I it did it you know there's some thought-provoking stuff in here. I don't think it it's co- cohesive. I don't think the message is entirely coherent. Um but I'm glad I saw it. You know like things like when there's that scene like the sort of a uh, a, a duet musical number where all the men and all the women are yeah, separated, but great. but dancing to "Oh Girl" by yeah. the Shy Lights. Like that was an amazing scene. Like that's like a classic Spike Lee moment. And there's a few of those in this movie. I thought where there are classic Spike like Spike Lee moments. Like again, Samuel Jackson when he's standing, kind of like Patton in front of the American flag, giving this speech. Like that kind of gave me chills uh, actually. So. I I kind of recognize all the stuff you're saying. I don't think anything what you're saying is wrong. I just, I don't know. The to me the good slightly outweighed the bad here, and I'm glad I saw it. And you know, I, I sort of hope that Spike Lee keeps making stuff like this. It wouldn't mind if he was a little more focused. Yes. I uh, yeah. You know, I I feel like a lot of people I I love and respect uh, really like this movie a lot more than I did. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate the ambition of it and just the total boldness. Yeah. I don't think that it works in terms of its structure or its message, but I am also not sorry. <laughs> other that than I, that. Saw it. Well, I mean, I'm not sorry. I saw it. Right. Uh, and uh, also I wanted to give a shout out to Dave Chappelle who has one really funny oh, scene. Great uh, scene. And it just has been much missed. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Come back to us, Dave Chappelle. So great. And, and, you know, we mentioned Amazon in the opening. I think the other thing to point out, you know, we're saying it's ambitious. It's interesting. Like, it's great that, like, Amazon as, like, a studio, quote unquote, is, like, doing Chirac. Like, that's encouraging. That's exciting that, like, they're throwing a lot of money behind these sorts of projects as opposed to, well, we're going to make our own giant uh, superhero franchise, and that's what we're going to do with our millions of dollars. Like, I, we have that. That's fine. That's great. But I would rather them give their money to interesting filmmakers with provocative things to say. I think that's really exciting for the future. Like, keep throwing that money around Amazon. That's a good thing. Sure. Uh, and I'm happy they made this film. And I, I feel like Amazon... Unlike Netflix, Amazon doesn't seem to have one particular plan mm. at work, which uh, is an explanation for why. Not necessarily a bad thing. Not necessarily a bad thing. They've made some some wild and unpredictable choices and continue to. And uh, I think that's exciting, particularly in the original film uh, standpoint. So. so this is Chirac. It's available for rent or purchase on Amazon right now. But I think within days of hearing this, it will be available for Amazon Prime as well. So not telling you to not spend your money, but if you have Amazon Prime, you'll be able to watch it that way very soon. Sweet home, Chicago. 
On our last episode, Allison gave us a preview of Sundance, and now here we sit two weeks later in the same spot. Allison, you're looking well. You're not, you don't seem ill. You didn't come back with the Sundance flu. I knock on wood. You, yeah, knocking, yeah, let's knock on wood. Yes. It, you look well rested. Thank you. You were there a long time. I was there a long time. For someone who was there for so long, you seem remarkably alive. Yeah. I give you credit for that. Usually I crawl back, like most it's people, it's a punishing experience. Crawl back like a shadow of my former self. Film festivals, while they can be incredibly uh, fun, super fun, super exciting, because you are seeing these movies for the first time, often you're seeing, even at, even at worst, at a festival like Sundance, you're going to see one or two great, great movies, and you're going to be one of the first people in the world to see it. You're surrounded by, you know, your colleagues. You know, it can be a really great experience, but you're also seeing five or six movies a day sometimes. You're not sleeping. Even you're always going to see those two or three masterpieces, but a lot of garbage. Even if it's even at Sundance, there's yep. going to be a lot of crummy movies or just boring, uninteresting, mediocre movies. It's cold. It's snowing. You're not eating. It can be a real experience. Yeah, and even if you're not going out, and I don't, most journalists do not spend most of the time going out at night. There are a million parties, right. which you don't have time to go to. Yeah, but that. Uh, the schedule is such that it makes it very difficult to sleep more than a few hours a night. Yeah, you're, and you're trying three, to four write, hours a night. Yeah, you're trying to write in between then and focus. And eh, anyway, poor us. So sad. I, to go I'm to not trying to say I for know. us. I just I know that a lot of people they hear film festival and they think it's the greatest thing ever, and it can be, but it, it is. is work. It's that's what I, I just yes. yeah. That's what I want to impress upon yes. people is that it is hard. It is a grind, and I'm giving you credit for coming back. I not looking that. like a zombie. Yes. So. Uh, you've, how, I don't know how we, you've structured this, but you're going to tell us about some of the highlights. I don't know if you're going to run uh, through the movies you talked about last time. I am going to mention two of those. Okay, good. Because the two of those were two of my favorites of okay. the festival. And then I'm going to mention some other ones that I did not get to. All right, to great. Let's, let's since, do it. Since the point of Sundance is also discovery. Absolutely. So the two, two of the movies that I mentioned last time as ones I was looking forward to that I did indeed love are Manchester by the Sea yes. and Kate Plays Christine, which are mm. probably my favorite uh, my favorite scripted film and doc that I saw at the festival. Okay. Uh, Manchester by the Sea is, as I mentioned before, the latest film from Kenneth Lonergan, who's uh, someone we're both a big fan of. And he, uh, it's his movie, the movie that it didn't seem like he'd be able to make after Margaret, which was like, a you very, mean Margaret? Margaret. Um, <laughs> never, never say that to me again. <laughs> that, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Um, which is, by the way, available to rent. Definitely check that out. Great movie, extremely troubled production. You know, right. and yet, with the help of someone like Matt Damon, who was a producer of Manchester by the Sea, he got this made. It's got a great cast, including Casey Affleck and uh, Michelle Williams, among others, and is uh, just one of a few films actually at Sundance this year that was about that were about a. Uh, basically a white guy who goes home <laughs> to right. his hometown but this and to is to deal with someone dying or someone yes, dead his older right brother played by cal chandler dies and, okay and he has to go home to deal with his 16 year old nephew mm. but it is also a movie about like why he left and he had, turns out had very good reasons to right. leave his hometown and go to boston and lead this kind of monastic almost life uh terrific casey affleck just like an incredible performance and this as a movie nice. about kind of grief and, and about how people deal with it. This is just an amazingly written and directed movie. Uh, it's just like, it is incredibly sad without feeling like a tearjerker, mm-hmm. you know? And it is just also very like warm and empathetic towards these characters. Uh, I, 
it was picked up by Amazon in a historic deal where they yeah, paid, we were talking about Amazon spending their exactly, money. Exactly. That Amazon spent ten million dollars on the streaming rights for this. Right. So Did this not is they're pick not up theatrical. Right. This is just to show it to like Amazon Prime subscribers. Yes. So they also they committed to an Oscar campaign essentially. So wow. they're going to partner with whoever picks it up. Yes. I don't think anyone's done that yet, yet. officially. And maybe they'll do it themselves because they have like Bob Bernie's working for them now. So like that, right. you know, but so it will get released in theaters in some way, but it's going to be really pushed for the Oscars. And I think certainly has, you know, good chance. Uh, and also maybe we'll get to talk about that on a film sweating SVU sometime mm, that's in, later in the year. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, that was my, my favorite. So film. that you were super hyped up for and it and, lived up to the hype. lived up to that. Awesome. Uh, and the other one, which I was very hyped up for and really enjoyed is Kate plays Christine, mm-hmm. um, from Robert Greene, who is a, a documentarian who does a lot of hybrid and kind of uh, things that push the boundaries of the form. And this is one about, it was one of two movies about Christine Chubbuck, who is the newscaster who committed suicide on air in 1974. Right. And this is by far the better one. And also one that really, I think, just had they were made at the same time, just totally is an implicit critique to the other film, which starred Rebecca Hall. The other one is like a a, a traditional biopic. Basically. Basically. yeah. Yeah, it follows her in those last few months right. spiraling towards this end. And this is uh, sort of, well, it's an well, interesting, it's, I was reading yeah. about it. It's it, Caitlin Scheel, the actress, yep. uh, plays herself and also as if she had been hired to star in a movie about Christine Chubbuck. Right. There is no separate movie. The movies she's preparing for are these right. reenactments it's that happen within the kind of a documentary of a fictional conceit, right. essentially. And it is a documentary about acting process, but also it's about, and in, in the best way, because I find acting process talk can be very difficult to make palatable. Right. You know, but if you're not an actor, right? Like this is, it's kind of acting as journalism because she goes and talks to these people from Christine's life, goes to a gun, the gun store that she bought the gun from and talks to the person about like what it would have been like to buy a gun then. And it is also a movie about what, like why, why would you want to watch the movie, a movie about a woman who's famous for ending her life publicly, you know, like that is the thing that has become like summed up her entire life. Yeah. And it's, it it asks this question in a very provocative way. And, uh, I, it, it was, I think though I didn't love the very ending, it is a very sharp edged, smart and very kind of of the moment movie. Mm. Uh, I think about why we want to essentially rubberneck uh, at at this, these moments of terrible violence and, you know, uh, whether we would want to watch that tape if it were available right. for dying. And that one, do we know if that one has a distributor it yet? It does not have a distributor yet. Okay. Um, you can check out Robert Greene's last movie, Actress, which is a movie I liked a lot. It's on Netflix yeah. and Fandor. Uh, that one, I'm sure will get picked up eventually, but has not, at least as of this recording. Yeah. Most of his up. movies have gotten at least small distribution or play, and then played on streaming. So it's something we'll see somewhere for sure. Yes. Okay. Okay, a few so others. So now on to these discoveries. Let's, yes. Let's hear what you discovered. Okay, well, uh, first up is another doc, uh, a doc called Tickled. Tickled? Yes. It is a directorial debut of David Ferrier, who is a New Zealand entertainment reporter who kind of specializes in quirky stories, sometimes internet-centric ones. And he does a story uh, on these videos he finds online that are competitive endurance tickling videos. Like two guys dressed say up that, in uniforms. Say that again? Competitive endurance tickling. 
Okay. Which, which are framed like this is a real sport. This is a thing that exists. Like all these guys. This is a real documentary. This is not this is like a, a Christopher Guest yes, mockumentary because so, it sounds like yes. it's fake. So he finds these videos and like does a story on them, like because you know they're framed like this is a real sport, competitive endurance tickling. Okay. These like athletic guys, like one guy will be like tied down and the others will be tickling him to see how long he can be tickled for. I guess. So he does a story on this and then he looks a little deeper. He finds that there's this company called Jane O'Brien Media. They're like advertising, like they'll fly people into LA to shoot these videos. They're looking for athletes. Uh, They pay like $1,500. And he starts investigating and immediately gets a response from the PR person. This is all in the first 20 minutes of the movie. Gets a response from the PR person being like, dear David, thank you for your inquiry. We don't want ourselves uh, associated with a homosexual journalist like you. Uh, Maybe, maybe, you know, in New Zealand, like those kind of tendencies are acceptable, but like not here and like not, you know, blah, blah, blah. So then he's really interested. These like increasingly aggressive, nasty, like uh, responses he's getting over Twitter DM from the woman who claims to be the PR head of this company. And the rest of the movie is an investigation of who is behind competitive tickling videos. Weird. And it, it's fascinating. Really? This yes. sounds amazing. They, it, like very early on in the movie too, after he starts this, the company flies three people to come to New, New Zealand and basically talk to him, try and talk him out of doing any story. Wow. Yes. And it goes to other places from there. It becomes a story about tickle fetishes internet bullying, blackmail, uh, and, uh, uh, and basically the use of lawsuits to like att- attempt to silence someone. Wow. Yes. So really it sounds amazing. It's and I'm really looking, I'm looking as you're talking, it has been picked up yes. by uh, Magnolia and HBO, HBO. It says, yes. So it'll be, uh, thank goodness. Cause I can't wait to see this now. <laughs> I don't, I almost don't want you to say another word. Cause no, it's I, sound, I don't, I don't want like, go, to spoil I, I don't anything else about it. I don't want to go anywhere further into this just to say like all of that setup is like yeah. really, it's like in the first 20 minutes of the movie wow. and it goes to much stranger places from there. <laughs> um, and I will say, David Ferrier, uh, you can see more of him. He plays himself in a comedy series called Short Poppies, uh, which was created by and stars Reese Darby, Murray on Flight of the Concords. Mm-hmm. Um, that's on Netflix right now. So if you are curious about who David Ferrier is, um, you can check that out. But Tickled, keep an eye out for it. Aren't you impressed how well I pretended like I didn't know about erotic tickling videos? I really had you convinced, didn't I? I totally did. And then you were like, let me tell you about uh, tickling videos. You'll uh, be hearing from my lawyer, by the way. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. A few more quickly. Yes. Uh, Morris from America, uh, directed by Chad Hardigan, who, in addition to being the winner of Ultimate Film Fanatic in 2005... Is that true? Yes, it's real. Wow. Uh, that um, on IFC Network, for which Matt and I used to work. Yeah. In fact, we were there in well, that was That was the right one we started. Yeah. Uh, this is his second movie. stars a young man named Marquise Christmas as the Morris of the title. A 13-year-old boy who lives with his dad, played by Craig Robinson, in Heidelberg, Germany. And it is a story about this kid who is basically facing like these double... Uh, alienation of being an American in Germany and also being as far as he and his dad are concerned they seem to be like the two black men in like all of this white historic town right and so and it's that plus all of the pain of being 13 an extremely awkward age for anyone Mm -hmm. but it's this extremely sweet and like well-directed like deliberately modest film about how uh how Morris falls for this girl who kind of finds him like a novelty and who uh, takes him out to techno parties and things like that. But it's also about just 
the start of adolescence and how scary that is and has a great father-son relationship um Craig Robinson very funny guy but not a guy who gets to I think act a lot Mm -hmm. and in this he's he's pretty wonderful as a dad who is like sees what's starting like and uh and is a widower Mm -hmm. and and doesn't know like doesn't know how to navigate it you know wants to be as like open as possible to the fact that it's just teenagerdom and it's gonna it's gonna hurt a bit Mm -hmm. but uh, it, it's it's their relationship in particular is is really great and it's just the kind of coming of age story that I haven't seen told before I don't think like you know that's a combination of characters and setting that I, I haven't seen so that's really lovely and if you want to check out Chad Hardigan's last film uh, which is This is Martin Bonner another kind of small intimate wonderfully done warm drama starring another discovery this guy named Paul Einhorn who is an Australian actor in the I think US. We talked about it on the I show. I think we did. It was a really nice little movie. Nice little movie. Uh, that is now streaming on Amazon Prime mm. and uh, and Morris from America has already been picked up by A24 and they have a deal I think with Amazon all of their have, movies. Yeah, they do. And this will also be through their direct TV deal where okay. something goes on direct TV first and then a month later comes into theaters. Right. So, so you'll be able to see this one pretty soon probably. Pretty soon. Yeah. So and right. that's Morris where from America. Yes. Sounds great. Okay. Do you have one more for us? Two more. Two more. Uh, quickly, Under the Shadow was the horror movie that everyone was talking about this year. I don't think I heard about this mm, one. It's written Under and directed by Shadow. Babak Anvari uh, and has been widely described as this year's Babadook. Uh, oh, okay. Which, I did. Yes. yes, I did hear about this. Which is, I think, it sets the bar a little high, uh, but also I think is un- a comparison that's unavoidable because it's about a woman named Shida and her daughter Dorsa who are living in Tehran by themselves in the 80s because um, Shida's husband has been sent off to the front. It's the Iran-Iraq war. The city's getting bombed and they start to be convinced that the daughter is being haunted by a jinn uh, who is basically possessing her and is going to possibly take her away. Mm-hmm. It's also just really grounded in the specific details of the time, including the fact that the, the country's starting to become more conservative and the main character is denied a chance to go back to medical school because she was politically active during the revolution. And uh, if it doesn't maybe summon all of its anxieties together as neatly as the Babadook does. It has this cultural specificity that is really something new, including a moment, it was like one, I think one of the best moments in the movie, where she runs out into the street with her daughter because she's freaked out and gets picked up by the the morality police Mm. who essentially say like, a woman should be more afraid of immodesty than anything, including like getting killed in her apartment. (laughs) Better to stay at home and die than to go out into the street without a headscarf. So that's been picked up by Netflix actually, though it'll probably get some sort of theatrical release before then. And that was called, one more time. That's called Under the Shadow. Under the Shadow. And I feel like I can't do a Sundance piece without mentioning The Birth of a Nation, which was the most talked about film at the festival. Uh, The directorial debut of Nate Parker, uh, who is the star of, among other things, Beyond the Lights, which we talked about in SVU episode number 91. Mm -hmm. This is his passion project that he's been working on for years. He actually quit acting after Beyond the Lights to raise money for it. It's a biopic of Nat Turner, who was a leader of the 1831 Slave Rebellion, Parker wrote, directed, produced, and stars in this movie. Uh, it was picked up by Fox Searchlight for a record $17.5 million, the most money ever spent. The team actually turned down an offer from Netflix of $20 million because they wanted like a real theatrical release and experience right. Oscar push. Fox Searchlight has distributed the last two Os- Best Picture winners, right. too. Birdman and 12, so 12 they, Years a so Slave. They, so they, didn't, they weren't, they weren't they messing around. They wanted to go with this. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think... 
it will be. It, it, I mean, one of the things about this movie is it got like rapturous acclaim. Right. But it is also a movie that seems calculated to win an Oscar. Right. You know, it is, I think, to its detriment sometimes mm. and to its benefit. Like mm-hmm. it is a biopic. It is Braveheart, essentially. Right. Like it feels like Braveheart. He thanked Mel Gibson in the credits. Uh, he talked to Mel Gibson Supposedly, about Supposedly, yeah. He has described the project before that. as Black Braveheart. Right. Uh, do I think there's absolutely a value in seeing this story, like, given the same kind of heroic, like, you know, heroic treatment as something by far? Like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's not the most exciting movie in terms of filmmaking. It's, it, it it's aims to be, like, a big Hollywood movie, mm-hmm. which is some, and there is something interesting about seeing that at Sundance, because it is so not the type of movie that Sundance... It's out of place yes, there. features. It is, like, I think a testament to kind of the failures of the studio system, like, to not fund this movie that already. This had to be made outside the system Absolutely. when it really just wants to be a, a, a Hollywood big, yeah. movie. Yeah, a big, glossy Hollywood movie. Yeah. Uh, it's mo- a movie we're going to be talking about a lot in the rest of the year, so I won't go into it more, but it was definitely exciting to be at that first screening. Yeah. And, and this, the energy. Interesting timing, incredible. I'm sure because of Absolutely. all of the discussions of about the Oscars, the Oscars. So whites and all of that. Yeah. I mean, the timing couldn't, you know, be better really for this. Right. Now one and one is two. Ten, two is four. I'm heavy loaded, baby. I'm booked. I've got to go. Fine, baby. Well, speaking of the Oscars, we are a month out from the 2016 Oscars right now. Uh, It feels like we've been talking about them for so long. In fact, it was funny to be at Sundance and have people, people talking, talking about, about next the year's, Oscar yeah, prospects of the Birth of a Nation, yes. Oscar chances for 2017. I mean, like we haven't even had this year's Oscars yet. Like, let's not do that. But Matt, you are ready to talk about categories that I think people people don't always know much about because no, these I think are not, most people don't know anything about them. These are usually the big question mark when you're doing your Oscar pool, like the, yes. the shorts. And I know usually for me it's that way too. Is that well, the other thing is the reason I wanna I wanted to do this was that yeah, you're doing those Oscar polls and every year you're trying to win and everyone pretty much puts the same guesses for the big categories because those are the ones that people have seen the movies or you've read the analysis. Right. People have predictions. Absolutely. They're easier to guess. And the other thing is even if you're guessing wrong, almost everyone has the same guess. So that that's it's hard to win when you're guessing the same as everybody else because either you're going to be right or wrong together. So what you're saying is you're providing the edge here. I, I'm trying to, yeah. Now that doesn't mean that I'm going to do it right, but that's the, the, the at least that's the impulse here is that if you can make an educated guess in these three categories that might give you the leg up on people who are just are they're informed but not this informed because let's face it no one is this informed very few people have seen these short films right and also it's one thing to see them and another thing to guess at what the people who are voting on them might like the best right and if you're guessing you're probably guessing either maybe you find a website that tells you who's going to win and you just blindly trust them or sometimes i know there's been years where i've been you know late to put in my my pool Oscar pool guesses and I'm looking at the titles and literally just guessing based on the titles, yep, which I, th- I thought might be fun to make you do right here. Allison All is right. perhaps to um, have you guess based on the title. And then maybe I could tell you what the descriptions of the movies are. Okay. And have you guess based on that? Let's do that. Um, okay. So 
let's start with the short film live action category. So these are the live action fictional shorts. The nominees are, and I want you to first guess just based on the title. All right. Here are the titles. Ave Maria, Day One, Everything Will Be Okay, parentheses, Als Verd Gut, Shock, S-H-O-K, or Stutterer. I'm going to go with Everything Will Be Okay. All right. So your guess based on the title is Everything Will Be Okay. Now let me read you the plot descriptions. These are directly from the Oscar website. And see if this changes your vote any. Okay. Um, so this is a fascinating experiment. Here okay, we go. Okay. So this is the plot description for Shock, S-H-O-K. In Kosovo in 1998, two young boys are best friends living normal lives. But as war engulfs their country, their daily existence becomes filled with violence and fear. Soon, the choices they make threaten not only their friendship, but their families and their lives. Okay. okay. Next, Ave Maria. Five nuns living in the West Bank find their routine disrupted when the car of a family of Israeli settlers break down outside the convent. Unable to use the telephone due to Sabbath restrictions, the family needs help from the nuns, but the sisters' vow of silence requires them to work with their visitors <laughs> to find an orthodox solution. Okay? Okay. Day one. On the heels of a painful divorce, an Afghan-American woman joins the U.S. military as an interpreter and is sent to Afghanistan. On her first mission, she accompanies troops pursuing a bomb maker and must bridge the gender and culture gap to help the man's pregnant wife when she goes into labor. Okay. okay. Everything will be okay. Michael, a divorced father devoted to his eight-year-old daughter, Leah, picks her up for their usual weekend together. At first, it feels like a normal visit, but Leah soon realizes that something is different, and so begins a fateful journey. Okay, and finally, Stutterer. For a lonely typographer, an online relationship has provided a much-needed connection without revealing the speech impediment that has kept him isolated. <laughs> now, however, he is faced with the proposition of meeting his online paramour in the flesh and thereby revealing the truth about himself. Okay, so okay. now based on the description... God, those are the most Oscar-y <laughs> descriptions. What do you think? I might change it to shock. That is, in fact, my prediction for this category, okay. Shock, the two boys in yes, Kosovo. Yes. It is actually a, a very well-done film. It's powerful, and it has that war-torn Kosovo element, which does make it feel even more Oscar-y. Um, I don't think it's the best of the shorts. Actually, my favorite of the five, like if I had a vote, it would be Everything Will Be Okay. okay. That's actually, I thought, by far the best of the shorts. It's a really interesting short film. Um, but it's basically just a, like a thriller or a story of this father and his daughter. And I, the, the Oscars, right? They love to vote on something that has import and meaning and is more than just that sort of thing. So that's why I do think shock is – that would be my guess of what is going to win. I think if, it, if there's a, a dark horse here, it maybe would be – Day one, which is the one about the woman who goes to Afghanistan and has sort of, again, important themes. And, and there's some interesting filmmaking in it. The plot of it gets very, I don't want to say silly, but extreme and melodramatic and kind of wild. And I'm, I'm, as I was watching, I'm going, this kind of feels like a student film, which is actually what it is. It's an award-winning student film, and it's a very good student film. But it, I don't think it's quite up to the level of filmmaking uh, as something like Shock. So that'd be my guess for the short film live action category, Shock. Although my personal favorite was Everything Will Be Okay.
Okay, moving on to the animated shorts category. And again, I'm going to let you decide first, just based on the titles. Okay. Here we go. Bear Story, Prologue, Sanjay's Super Team, We Can't Live Without Cosmos, or World of Tomorrow. This is trickier because I have seen two of these films. Yes. But just off title, the title, I would go with We Can't Live Without Cosmos. Okay. Now let me read you the plot descriptions. This is for Bear Story. Every day, a melancholy old bear takes a mechanical diorama that he has created out to his street corner. For a coin, passerbys can look into the peephole of his invention, which tells the story of a circus bear who longs to escape and return to the family from which he was taken. All right. Now, prologue. 2,400 years ago, four warriors, two Spartan and two Athenian, battle to the death in an intense struggle witnessed by a little girl who then runs to her grandmother for comfort. Okay. Sanjay's super team. Young Sanjay, a first-generation Indian American, is obsessed with television, cartoons, and his superhero action figures. He is reluctant to spend time in daily prayers with his devout Hindu father, but a flight of imagination helps him develop a new perspective that he and his father can both embrace. We can't live without cosmos. Two best friends have dreamed since childhood of becoming astronauts, and together they endure the rigors of training and public scrutiny and make the sacrifices necessary to achieve their shared goals. World of Tomorrow. A little girl named Emily is taken on a fantastical tour of her distant future by a surprising visitor who reveals unnerving secrets about humanity's fate. Okay. I mean, based I on the description. Based on the descriptions, I can't not pick Sanjay's super team beyond the fact that it's very clearly the favorite. Yeah. I feel like it is a, the kind of description that the Oscars would really, really like. Yeah. And it is a movie that I really like, though I love World of Tomorrow yeah. most of all. I, that would be my guess, too. I think Sanjay's super team is probably the winner here. That would be my guess. My favorite was also World of Tomorrow, which is amazing. But probably it just doesn't feel like an Oscar winner, right? No. Too weird. It is too and weird. It's... And this is the second Oscar nomination for Don Hertzfeld. And I'm just happy that he's got an Oscar sure. nomination. Yeah, I, I think it's great that he's getting the attention. And I hope that it, you know, people go out and seek out World of Tomorrow as a result. It's streaming on Netflix. It's you streaming right now right on now. Netflix. You should yeah. watch it right now. But it has stick figures. And it's weird and psychedelic and strange. And I'm trying to imagine, like, the stereotypical Oscar voter watching this. And <laughs> And I just envision like an old white dude with a befuddled look on his face, not only because of the content, but also the style. And it's just like, it doesn't look like a great animated movie, right? By design. And it just, I have a hard time imagining it, it winning. Sanjay's super team, on the other hand, it's beautiful. I think it has a, a lovely sort of personal story behind it. The fact that the director, it's sort of uh, loosely autobiographical about his relationship to his father. And you can tell just from the movie, because at the end, there's like a picture of the real the real Sanjay and his father. And very cynically, I have to be honest here, very cynically, we've talked already about the Oscars, the controversy. Oscars so white. I, very cynically, I, I do think the opportunity to award a director who's of you know Indian background and have the winners of this year's Oscars not all be white – I, I have a feeling that might weigh on some voters' minds. Sure. And I mean, Pixar has a good record. Not an infallible record. And I'm not saying it, it, it's not a deserving winner. Sure. I think it's a very deserving yeah. winner. It's a great little film. I just suspect that uh, sure. cynically... I mean, Pixar was cynical about this, too. I did an interview with Sanjay Patel. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't pitch this film. Pixar approached him and are like... Oh, really? Yeah, because he'd done a lot of work on the side of sure. doing illustrations of kind of Hindu mythology and the Bhagavad Gita. And like, I think... 
Is it? One of those. Uh, He, uh, he, you know, was perfectly happy as an animator who has worked on a lot of movies, but like, they were like, do you have something you'd like to do? He had never imagined that Pixar would hmm. be interested in a movie from him. That's interesting. Yes. So uh, I think Pixar was aware of that as well. I think the result is good. And I think the result is very good. I, I think also, you know, I will say briefly on this movie, I think that there is a tendency to be very kind of dismissive of it because it seems like another very cute Pixar short. Right. But I, I do think it gets at something about the immigrant experience in that. And I certainly as someone who is the daughter of uh of two immigrants, including mm-hmm. a mom who has still has no real sense of what I do or why I'd be interested in it. I think it's like a really touching summation of being a kid who grew up in Western pop culture, mm-hmm. trying to find a way to relate to a parent who has no interest in it. Right. And it has that, that great, I mean, it, it, it's just sort of like a lovely sort of adventure sort of thing as it's going on. And then it hits you at the end. It has that Pixar emotional gut punch. Those yeah. last couple of shots, they really get you. Um, so yeah, I think it's got, it's the total package really. So it's hard to imagine anything but it winning this year, but you should watch world of tomorrow. It's so great. You should watch it as well. All right. So that that's the animated, uh, short subject category. Now, finally, we're moving on to the documentary short subject category. And I have, I have to say, I haven't seen two of these films. I, it's been, they're a little tougher to track down because some of these have big distributors and they're sort of like coaxing screener links for them is a little bit tougher so there's two of these shorts that i haven't watched yet so i'm going to be guessing based on the descriptions as well to a certain extent excellent i will say this the live action shorts this year i thought were okay the the two that we discussed shock and everything will be okay i thought were the best of the bunch the animated short films i thought four of the five were really really strong like it's a good batch of short films the documentary short subjects are all good too, but I can't even begin to describe how depressing this, this category is, has traditionally been just like a parade of human misery. That's exactly what it is. It is a catalog of horror. It really is. It is just, it's punishing. It really, it's like, it's because like, well, you could go to a movie theater and see a movie on a depressing subject like war or famine or disease or whatever it is. You, that would be one. Here you have like a potpourri of five of the most horrible things all together. So, you know, they show these short subjects in movie theaters. I would just say be aware that going to see the documentary short subjects while they're very good that is not like, uh, hey, let, like, don't take a date. Like, know that you're going in for something really sort of emotional and dark. Yeah. I, I, there's something also, like, HBO has always figured really largely in this category. Yes, they have three of these movies. Yeah. And, I mean, it's it's one that's, like, it's an economically weird category because there aren't a lot of places to show a short doc. So yes. that's why HBO, who inv- they invest heavily in this. And yes. they tend to... Do very well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So here are the nominees. And again, I'll first ask you just for the guest based on the title. Body Team 12. Chow Beyond the Lines. Claude Landsman, Specters of the Shoah. A Girl in the River, The Price of Forgiveness. That's one title. Last Day of Freedom. So even the titles, are even good. the titles I'm are go brutal. With the Claude Landsman, because you know they Holocaust is a, a because game. Holocaust. Yes. That's very cynical to say, but <laughs> yeah, of course, it's I'm a cynical it, person. That's well, when you're picking, this is not a merit. This is trying to guess the Oscars. You have to be cynical. All right, now the plot descriptions. Body Team Twelve, and again, this is going to get even the plot descriptions. You are going to start crying. I think, Allison. Here we go. Body Team Twelve in Monrovia, Liberia. 
Garmai Sumo is the only female member of Body Team 12, one of the many teams collecting the bodies of those who died from what? Ebola during the height of the 2014 outbreak. <laughs> Despite the perilous nature of her job and the distrust with which she is often met, Garmai remains dedicated to her work. Chow Beyond the Lines. Chow, a teenager living in a Vietnamese care center for children born with birth defects due to Agent Orange, struggles with the difficulties of realizing his dream to become a professional artist and clothing designer. Despite being told that his ambitions are unrealistic, Chow is determined to live an independent, productive life. <laughs> Claude Landsman, Specters of the Shoah. 30 years after the release of the documentary show, a filmmaker Claude Landsman discusses the personal and professional difficulties he encountered during the more than 12 years it took to create the work. Landsman also discusses his relationship with Simone de Beauvoir and Jean-Paul Sartre and his teenage years spent fighting in the French resistance during World War II. A Girl in the River, The Price of Forgiveness. Every year, more than 1,000 girls and women are the victims of religiously motivated honor killings in Pakistan, especially in rural areas. 18-year-old Saba, who fell in love and eloped, was targeted by her father and uncle, but survived to tell the story. <laughs> Finally, last day of freedom. Freedom. Not so much. When Bill Babbitt realized that his brother Manny had committed a crime, he agonized over the decision to call the police knowing that Manny could face the death penalty, but hoping he would instead receive the help he needed. Manny, an African-American veteran who served two tours in Vietnam, suffered from PTSD and had found it difficult to obtain health care. I don't even know. Yeah. I, I'll, stick with, I'll stick with my guests, but all of those seem perfectly Oscar-worthy Oscar worthy yeah. in their deep, abiding misery. Yeah. It, I, yeah, and having... Now, I haven't seen... Um, the Claude Landsman, and I haven't seen A Girl in the River, which sounds really yeah. brutal. I, we should no mention that Chow, Beyond the Lines, and Last Day of Freedom are both on Netflix. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Netflix, I think, invested in some shorts, hoping that they would get Oscar nominations. I see. Which is how they have And it few. worked out. Yeah. They have a couple. I mean, and those are both, they're very, those two are very good. Um, and Chow, Beyond the Lines, I will say, as, you know, as rough as it sounds you know this this kid who's growing up he's a victim of agent orange and like there's a there's a glimmer of hope there it's not as bleak as it seems or, or as bleak as it starts so that's kind of nice and it's a very um it's well made and and last day of freedom the twist there is that it's entirely animated it's um it's a testimonial from this guy about his brother and this and his story um but the whole thing is sort of his testimony but they've animated it um in black and white mostly so it's it's um a lovely little short film if i had to guess without having seen the the Claude Landsman or a girl in the river. I would probably agree with you. Again, very cynically, it's tough to say here who's going to win. You know, and to go well, who would they pick based on wanting these Oscars to? You know, what do they want reflected this year? Because this is actually one of the more diverse categories. You have a lot of different subjects here, and it's really, I guess, only w one of these stories is even American. So it's hard to sort of pick based on that. I mean, Body Team Twelve is. It is brutal. It is very brutal, and but but in a way that's sort of inspiring too, because it's about this young woman who is explaining why she does this job that no one would ever want to do, and why she keeps keeps doing it, even when she's the threats to her life are so many. Besides being infected with Ebola as a potential thing that could happen every day, you know the people that she's helping by disposing of these bodies. A lot of times they don't want her to do it because they want to bury their loved ones themselves. And it's 
oh my goodness, it's only 12 minutes long or 13 minutes long, but it is unbelievable. But I mean, it's when you think about the the bravery, not just of the subject, but of the filmmaker to go into this area that's, you know, full of this disease, you know, that it's potentially putting their own lives at risk. I wonder if maybe that could be the winner too. So having not seen the two of the five, I'm going to say that, yes, the Claude Landsman could win, but I would also say that Body Team 12 might be the, uh, the one to watch out for in this category. All right, we're going to go straight to behind the eight ball here because we're running a little long. Allison, you are going to go first. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, so just as always, this is the segment where we give you some recommendations. Three new titles on streaming, two listener recommendations you guys have sent to us at our email address, svu at filmspottingsvu.com, and then one random film from our my lists. Allison, why don't you start with three new releases? Okay, first up, uh, if you, like me, never know where to begin with big Bollywood films, uh, one that I have seen and that I really, really enjoyed is new to Netflix. It is called Kalho Naho, which I think is usually translated as Tomorrow May Never Come. And uh, it is actually set in New York. It is set in the kind of immigrant community in New York about a, a young woman played by Preti Zinta who is... Uh, part of a family that's kind of struggling her father committed suicide their the restaurant they own is not doing so well and then uh aman played by sharuk khan the bollywood superstar comes comes to town moves in next door and just brightens her day as much as she resists it's got love triangles it's got family secrets being revealed it's got surprise terminal illnesses and musical numbers and it is sprawling and delightful and uh, it's 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 worth investing the time it is a longer movie like a lot of these are but it's totally worth it that's Calhonaho that uh, is available on Netflix available on Amazon Prime is Mommy the fifth film from 26-year-old Xavier Dolan, who is the enfant terrible and extremely prolific, uh, you know, favorite of the Cannes Film Festival. This one is about a widowed mother, played by uh, Anne Dorval, who is trying to take care of her very difficult but also charming son, who is uh, named Steve, and they befriend their neighbor who just moves in. It is exuberant, messy has a framing story and ending that I think is still just like Xavier Delam being like, I hate you, mom. Um, but is, is especially in the middle, just wonderful. And, you know, Delan is so talented and I think, and is so young and is always right on the verge of making, I think a great movie. I do not doubt that he'll do one soon. Mm. This one is a good one mm. and you can find it on Amazon prime. And finally new to Fandor is our Nixon, Documentary in Penny Lane's latest movie called Nuts just premiered at Sundance. I unfortunately missed it, but it was one that a lot of people talked about, about uh, a kind of a uh, doctor who claimed that he could cure impotence with goat testicles. Uh, and her last film, R. Nixon, is streaming on Fandor and is a movie that does really uh, nice things with archival footage. It is made up entirely of archival footage, most of it Super 8 footage that was shot by three members of Nixon's staff and is this this story of basically like idealism go, or like falling apart <laughs> um, all in archival footage. It's well done. That's our Nixon. It's streaming on Fandor. Okay, how about two listener recommendations? First up, we have one from Glenn who writes, Hi, Matt and Allison. I really enjoy your show and I'm happy to hear Matt is perhaps inching back to using silly voices. Glenn, don't, Me never. don't encourage him. <laughs> 
I know that Allison hardly endorsed this film in episode 96, so apart from alerting you that A Pigeon Sat on a Branch Reflecting on Existence is now available on Netflix, I would just like to apprise potential viewers of the disturbing nature of some of the film's tidy dioramas, especially as embodied in the character of Uncle One Tooth. Um, And thank you for that, Glenn. I also firmly endorse that movie, and you should check it out on Netflix. And we have a recommendation from Leslie Lewis, who writes, I would like to recommend the Hulu series Rocket Jump. A small YouTube-ish production company makes a short film each week. The films are based on different genres, westerns, romances, spy films, but mixes them in imaginative and fun mayhem. The first three quarters of the show is the Sausage Factory portion, where we get to see how the films are made, stunts, directing, writing, etc., learn lots about the art of cinema from these folk, and got to see some nifty little films at the end, Good for the new baby daddy since the show is less than 30 minutes. <laughs> there you go. Much Matt. appreciated. Um, I haven't even heard of that. That's a, that's a really promising setup. Mm-hmm. I, uh, so thank you for that, Leslie. That is on Hulu. Okay. And one random film from your my list. You gave me number two, which is a movie that was recently added. It is Incompresa or Misunderstood mm-hmm. is the English title. It seems to be under on Netflix under both. Um, it is the latest directorial effort from Asia Argento. Uh-huh. And here's the premise. Aria is the sensitive little daughter of a female concert pianist and an actor. Both neglect her in favor of their children from earlier relationships. Eventually, she also has to face that both parents are headed for a divorce. Apparently, a, a mostly autobiographical film, <laughs> Aria instead of Asia, uh, starring Charlotte Gainsbourg and Gabriel Garco as the parents. And Asia Argento, always an interesting talent. Her films, uh, directorial efforts have been all over the place, but this one actually was pretty well received. So it is on my my list, misunderstood. All right, Matt, are you ready? Sure. Okay, (laughs) three new releases. First up, Allison, you owe me a life, and so does every SVU listener who hasn't watched the directorial debut of Keanu Reeves' Man of Tai Chi, a martial arts movie in which Keanu Reeves plays a bad guy who repeatedly says, you owe me a life, to the hero played by Tiger Chen. In conclusion, you owe me a life. Man of Tai Chi is now available on Amazon Prime. Next up, a movie that feels actually more and more timely with every day, which is horrifying. Uh, it's The Dead Zone, based on the book by Stephen King and directed by David Cronenberg. Christopher Walken stars as a guy who wakes from a coma and discovers he has psychic abilities and eventually becomes sort of involved in this presidential campaign with a candidate played by Martin Sheen who Walken realizes could bring about the end of the world. It is probably my favorite Stephen King adaptation after The Shining, and there is a great scene where Christopher Walken says, The ice is gonna break! And it's not, you owe me a life, but it's pretty damn good. That's The Dead Zone. It's now streaming on Amazon Prime. Uh, Finally, I wanted to point out that a whole bunch of films by one of my favorite directors, Jacques Tati, have been added to the Criterion Collection section of Hulu. Uh, Tati is a great comedy director, Um, even though he worked, I guess, like in the 50s, 60s, a little bit in the 70s. Basically, he was making silent movies, essentially. His hero, Monsieur Hulot, would get into these silly physical comedy misadventures that are just really brilliantly constructed and played. Uh, Hulu has Playtime, which is my favorite Tati movie, one of my all-time favorite movies, period. But it also has Monsieur Hulot's Holiday, Mon Uncle, Traffic. You really can't go wrong. You could watch them all in chronological order. They're just great. Um, They were put out in a box set by Criterion a few years ago, which I also have and I also recommend. But if you want to just kind of test them out first... That's the Jacques Tati collection on Hulu via the Criterion collection. Okay, how about two listener recommendations? First up is a recommendation from Matt Hurt of the Obsessive Viewer podcast. 
Matt writes, I have a streaming recommendation. It's Kevin Pollock's comedy documentary called Misery Loves Comedy. It's available on Amazon Prime to stream. It's a little loosely formatted, but it includes just about everyone you can imagine from the comedy world talking about what draws them to comedy and the personality types that are attracted to it. Of all the people interviewed, I was most interested in Freddie Prince Jr. scenes as he talked about his father and what it was like living under his shadow. Thanks. That's from Matt of the Obsessive Viewer Podcast. And we've also got an email here from, I guess it would be Kyan from Auckland, New Zealand. He says, greetings. I just saw a film on Netflix that totally captivated me. I heard Dan Savage interviewing Jason Schwartzman several months ago on the Lovecast about his film, The Overnight. So when I saw it show up on Netflix yesterday, the natural lemming I am immediately watched it. And holy moly, did I love it. The entire film is a really slow burn, a delicate unpeeling of a single dinner between two couples that gets stranger and stranger. It stars Adam Scott from Parks and Rec, Taylor Schilling from Orange is the New Black, and Jason Schwartzman. The film is really challenging sexually, so a warning that there is an abnormally large amount of male frontal nudity in the film, but golly, for a film that's almost entirely just four people in three rooms, I was captivated and constantly surprised. Great to have you back, Matt, though also love the cameo from Amy. Would love to have her on the show more. Uh, even if Matt's there too, a la Michael Phillips's role on Film Spotting Original Recipe. Cheers. That's from Kyan in Auckland, New Zealand. All right. And one from your My List. You gave me number 11, and that is Black Mirror, the great uh, British anthology sci fi series from Charlie Brooker. We talked about this show on SVU number 76. I think it was the main review. The reason I put it back on my list is because there's like a new episode new ish new to netflix it's the christmas special i believe that john ham is in i haven't watched it yet so i put it back on my my list because i have to check that out at some point so that's black mirror it's a great show we discussed it some of the episodes are better than others but uh the latest episode which i think is called white christmas has been recently added to netflix Let's get to our listener's choice options for next episode. It is an eclectic and intriguing bunch. Allison, you have the first one, and it is? It is Turbo Kid, which is new to Netflix. This is a Canadian dystopian adventure movie from writer-director team Francois Simard, Anouk Wissel, and Yoann Carl Wissel. Wissel as well, I'm assuming they're siblings or a couple set an alternative 1997 where a bmx riding teenage boy named the kid played by monroe chambers tries to avenge his parents by taking on an evil warlord named zeus played of course by michael ironside and you know there have been multiple movies that have tried to recreate that feeling of like an 80s lost 80s classic and this one has actually gotten a lot of acclaim and i think maybe it could be the start of a conversation about attempts to use nostalgia as an element within your new movie mm. um so that's one i'm definitely interested in seeing turbo kid on netflix and what's our second pick our second pick is lady snowblood which is now streaming on hulu this is the 1973 film from toshia fujita i'll read you the official description from the criterion collection because these Movies, the Lady Snowblood series, were recently put out by Criterion, um, Blu-ray and DVD, and they were added to Hulu. So here's how they describe it. Gory revenge is raised to the level of visual poetry in Toshia Fujita's stunning Lady Snowblood, a major inspiration for Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill saga. 
This endlessly inventive film, set in the late 19th century Japan, charts the single-minded path of vengeance taken by a young woman whose parents were the unfortunate victims of a gang of brutal criminals. Fujita creates a wildly entertaining action film of remarkable craft, an effortless balancing act between beauty and violence. And this is a sort of, not only is it considered influential for Quentin Tarantino and Kill Bill, it's considered a very sort of influential movie in general, sort of the revenge film, female-driven action movie. Uh, It's sort of a uh, very important movie in that regard, in a lot of regards. And neither of us have ever seen it, and it's new on Criterion. I think uh, there's a lot we could talk about about this movie. I'm very curious to check it out. So that is Lady Snowblood, which is streaming now on Hulu. And finally, our last pick is a TV pilot, I guess you could call it. The first episode of a TV series that was released as a surprise. It is Horace and Pete from Louis C.K. that was just basically dropped out onto the internet on January 30th without any prior announcements or any notice that it had been made. It stars Louis C.K. and Steve Buscemi as Horace and Pete, who are co-owners of an Irish bar called Horace and Pete's. So, um... Can't figure out where the title came from. (laughs) But the first episode is available on louisck.com for $5. Cast also includes Edie Falco, Stephen Wright, Alan Alda, Jessica Lange, with a theme song by Paul Simon. I am so intrigued by this. Louis C.K. is a fascinating talent and also has some strange and unusual TV impulses. Louis, his FX show, has gotten a lot of acclaim. But before then, his HBO series, his HBO comedy was like Lucky Louis was a kind of deconstructed multi-camera sitcom with a live studio audience. So I'm curious to see what this is like. And I don't know, maybe we can talk about Louis C.K. a bit. But that's Horace and Pete. It is available on louisck.com. And thanks to Ben Hayworth for suggesting this one to us on Twitter. Okay, so which movie or TV pilot should we review on the next episode of Filmspotting SVU? You can send your pick to svu at filmspottingsvu.com, or you can enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, February 8th at noon. After that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, twitter.com slash filmspottingsvu. And you will have all that week to watch the film or TV show. And then join us for our conversation on our next episode, which should be out on or around Tuesday, February 16th. Filmspottingsvu.com is also where you can find our show archive, as well as a list of direct links to all the movies and the occasional TV series that we discuss on the episode. The Filmspotting SVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. Listen to more of Vince's work at vincevandal.com. And we will be back in two weeks with more recommendations and the review that you pick. And in the meantime, you can always follow us on Twitter at Allison Wilmore and at Matt Singer. And you can follow the show at Filmspotting SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice poll and where we share more streaming suggestions from you guys, as well as just suggestions of things that are new to various streaming outlets. Um, so definitely give us a follow. For Filmspotting SVU, I'm Allison Wilmore. And I'm Matt Singer. Thanks for listening. Thanks.